Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Thanks, guys. All right, big round of applause for the wonderful Jack and Talia. Well done. Jack, excellent joke. Anyone would think that you're a secret dad with a, with a joke like that. Scandalous, I know. I know, so scandalous. Well, happy Father's Day, everybody. Great to see you all. John, congratulations, mate, on being the raddest dad of 2021. So a big round of applause for, for John. And Toby, there's always next year, mate. There's always next year. Very impressed with your effort, though. Better than ever. Excellent. Well, it's awesome to see you all here. Um, all your dads that are in the room, how about we just give them all a big, warm, wonderful Father's Day welcome. So good. So good. Oh, would you look at that. My little girl is now awake. So this is, mate, should we invite her up to start? That might be a bit fun. Can I have Camilla for a minute? I oh, know, this is just so narcissistic and selfish of me. Like, who else gets to do this? I know I'm building resentment with all your other dads that don't get to do this. Camilla, look. All right, um, cheer if you'd like to, for Camilla to give this morning's message instead of me. <laughs> oh, cool, let's go home. Camilla, this is everybody. Say hi to everybody. You going to do any talking? Hi. Hi. Have you got any smiles? Everybody say good morning, Camilla. See you out there, Camilla. See, look at all the people that love you, hey? Look at all your granddaddies and aunties and uncles and mummies and cousins and friends and a few enemies too. <laughs> hey? Aren't we lucky, hey? Well, I've had a great Father's Day weekend so far, except for the fact that maybe I didn't get as much sleep as I would have liked. Normally you're a pretty good sleeper, but not so much last night. But it is good fun having you up here. You make everybody nice and calm, Camilla. It's almost like you're like a little therapy dog. <laughs> All right, big round of applause for Camilla. I better hand it back to Erica. I know, that was a little um, bit selfish of me, a little bit narcissistic of me to be able to take my daughter up on stage with me. But anyway, if you're um, joining us for the first time in a little while, or maybe this is your first time to church here this morning, welcome. We're in the middle of a series called The House That Love Built. And we're exploring what it means to be the church, what it might look like to try to do this thing called faith inside of the context of a community. Because sometimes we get it wrong. We'll be the first to admit there are a room full of imperfect people, so we often get it wrong as a community as well. But this series, we're really trying to hone in on some of the moments that we've got right. We're not saying that we always get them right, but we're trying to hone in on some of those characteristics and some of those traits where we're able to reflect perhaps what we think God's design for the church might be. And I've just got totally distracted because my granddad's not now holding my baby. So, uh, <laughs> hey, Keith. So this morning, actually, the, uh, we're continuing on that series. Week one, we talked about purpose, about helping people find purpose. We spoke about church being a safe place, a place of acceptance, a place free of judgment. We also spoke about uh, how the church is a place of empowerment too and how we're equally, or we're especially lucky here because we've also got this arm of employment, and so it's through employment that we're able to train and empower and do character development with so many people. This morning, the characteristic or, or the trait that we'd love to celebrate as a church for the times that we've got it right is the way that we value children. So this morning should be great fun. I think it's especially um, timely, obviously, considering that today is, of course, Father's Day. So the question that must be asked is that at God's table... At God's table in the kingdom of heaven, where, where does children fit? Where do children fit? What seat of honour do they take at the table in community, in the family of God? And that's what we're going to be exploring this morning. Before I go any further, how about we just bow our heads and we just pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are a good, good father. I thank you that you model to us what it means to have a father's heart. I thank you that you model to, to us what it means to love, that you love first. And God, I just pray that each and every single one of us, that we might just be captivated by the thought of your love this morning. I pray that we may increase in awareness 
of your designs for our life. I pray that we might be inspired by the moments we get right and that we might be self-aware of the moments that we get wrong. And through all of that, I pray that your spirit might just be continuing to transform us more and more into your likeness. And I just pray that we have a really fun morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the scene that I'd like to talk to you about this morning requires a little bit of a backstory. And so it's found in Luke 9. So if you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to Luke 9. And so this is sort of like the end of the first stanza of Jesus' ministry. And so his friend, good friend Luke, who's recording it, it's kind of the end of that sort of whole segment of Jesus' ministry. In this part, Jesus has been establishing his character, he's been establishing his purpose, he's been establishing his ministry. And the disciples have moments where they get it right and a lot of moments where they get it wrong. And it sort of comes to this climax where there's this incredible spiritual experience. It's called the transfiguration. It's this weird, I'm going to be totally honest with you, it's this totally weird and wacky scene that doesn't really always make a heck of a lot of sense. But the way the story goes is that Jesus picked a couple of his companions and they headed up this mountain to have this mountaintop experience. I was up here at the top of this mountain that these disciples were able to behold the glory of Jesus, that they were able to behold this incredible spiritual experience which doesn't happen very often. It was truly unique, truly spiritual. So they go up this mountain and Luke records that there's this cloud, this heavenly cloud that descends on the party. And then all of a sudden, Jesus' clothing is transformed into the whitest of whites. He's shining bright. Clothing obviously um, symbolizes your prestige, your honor, your worth, your social standing, your riches. And so Jesus being transformed into the most dazzling of clothing and robes is symbolic, of course, of just how exalted he is. But Luke goes to pains to sort of explain that this transformation that Jesus undertook wasn't because of something that God bestowed upon him, but rather it's almost like God made what was inside of Jesus transparent. He made Jesus transparent so that we could see the glory of Jesus shining onto the outside. And then all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appear, these two great, great men of the Hebrew faith, these two great men in the, in the nation and the story of Israel, they all of a sudden appear there and the, the disciples are awestruck. These are the two greatest men in, in the history of their faith. And they appear there and they sort of bow their, their will almost. They secede to the authority of Jesus and it's like as if God is saying, you know what, guys, you're still trying to discern who this Jesus fellow is, but look, Jesus is greater than these. Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus isn't a carbon copy of Moses, he's not a carbon copy of Elijah, but rather you've got Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets, which make up all of the Hebrew faith, right? Which is symbolic of the Hebrew faith, and Jesus is greater than all of this. And then this booming voice resounds out of the cloud that comes out of heaven, and it's God himself speaking to these disciples, and God himself is saying, this is Jesus, this is my son. Take heed to what he says, pay attention to what he says. And so he's putting Jesus in the ultimate figure of authority. And so can you imagine, just take for a moment, put your, transport yourself into that scene, can you imagine just the sheer wonder and the sheer awe and the sheer amazement and just how great you would have felt had you been privileged to witness this? Even for the rest of the disciples down the mountain, perhaps they would have looked up and seen the cloud and, seen that, and known that something, something fishy was going on. Anyway... The story continues on because Jesus and his party descend down the mountain and immediately Jesus is met with four failings of his disciples, four failings of his friends. First of all, a father comes running to Jesus and he's agitated and he's upset because his, his child is ill, his child is sick. Luke actually records that the child was possessed. And this child had gone to the disciples seeking healing and the, the disciples had been un, un, unable to heal him which is very reminiscent of some of the stuff that had happened earlier on in the ministry. And Jesus had empowered them to be able to heal, but he, these disciples hadn't had the faith, and so they'd failed. And so this, this child was brought to Jesus, and Jesus heals him, but he, he's disappointed with the lack of faith of the disciples. So that's the first failing. And then the crowd's amazed. The crowd's in wonder. The crowd's ecstatic at what they're seeing. But then Jesus, as he often does, he takes this moment of just sheer adoration, and he drops in a moment of truth, which seems to just shatter the, the, the temperature of the room, and he says, you know what, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And the, the disciples, they start arguing with him, saying, no, surely not, Jesus, surely not you, because they can't understand that something dishonoring and shameful would happen to someone so good. They don't understand that something so bad could happen to a good person. They misunderstand Jesus' purpose, and that was the second failing of the disciples. 
And then third of all, Jesus becomes aware that the disciples are having this conversation in the background about who is the greatest. Obviously, they've been talking about what happened up the mountaintop, and it's made, perhaps it's made some of them jealous. Perhaps they've been talking about who did what down with the crowds at the base of the mountainside. Who knows what was going on? But they're having this argument, who is the greatest? And Jesus is furious because, yet again, they haven't understood one of his central tenets to his message, which is of this topsy-turvy nature with this honor-shame economy. They still haven't grasped it. So he grabs a child, and he puts him at the epicenter, and he teaches them a lesson about this. And then finally, finally, the disciples fail yet again. Some of the disciples think that they've done a great thing. They come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you know what, Jesus, I've done you such a favor. Jesus, you're going to be so proud of me. I've just done you so much good work for you. You know what, Jesus? There was this guy, right? There was this guy and he was healing people in your name. (laughs) Nah, Jesus, we we stamped it out. (laughs) There was this guy, right, Jesus, and he healed people, kind of like how we were trying to heal people, But he was actually successful. But we said to him, nah, you're not part of the inner circle. So you can't do that. You can't act in Jesus' name. And rightly, Jesus was furious because these disciples had participated in this boundary-making exercise to decide who gets to play and who doesn't get to participate in the kingdom of God. The irony of it, of course, is that these disciples shut down somebody that was successful in the very area that they had failed in. And so we've got these four immediate failings of these disciples straight off of this mountaintop experience. And Jesus speaks to each and every single one of them individually, in part, and then he takes them on a modern-day exodus journey for the next part of his ministry. He takes them on the road to be able to refine their character and refine their understanding. But to be able to address it all as well, he puts a child at the centre and he makes a statement. It's the illustration that he uses and it's the, way that he, it's the only part where he sort of goes into a lengthened teaching moment about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And what he does is he grabs a child, perhaps even the child that he just healed, I don't know, but he he grabs a child, he puts it at the absolute epicenter of the scene, and he says, unless you welcome this one, you've got no part in the kingdom of heaven. Let's read this scene here. Thank you, Ethan. An argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Isn't that always the case? We're always jostling for who's the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes, everybody say the word welcomes. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least amongst you who is the greatest. So Jesus steps into this moment of ego and status and he grabs a child and he puts a child at the very center of the conversation and he says, the kingdom of God belongs to those such as these. He says that the welcome to the kingdom of God is found when we welcome a child. When he's saying the word welcome there, it really means hospitality. So he's saying when you extend hospitality to a child, when you extend hospitality to a child, you are welcoming in the kingdom of heaven. Of course, there's no way in which you'd extend hospitality to a child. We've spoken about this before. It went against the very honor-shame economy of the the Greco-Roman system, of of their culture of the day. Hospitality was a way in which you jostled for social position. Hospitality was a way which you used like politics to be able to rub shoulders with people that were of your status or better than you. You wouldn't descend to someone beneath your status with an extension of hospitality because to do so would be to descend the social ladder, perhaps never to return. It was to relinquish your power. It was to bring shame upon your household, to bring shame upon your name. And children had no honor in this society, at least not until they became of age where they could extend the family line. But they were often ill. They were often abandoned. They had no rights. They were invisible. Children were invisible for much of the culture. And here's Jesus saying, no, you are to extend hospitality to somebody that can't give you anything in return. This child has got no power, he's got no status, he's got no wealth, he's got no influence. This child has got nothing in which they can give you back. They've got no voice with which to be able to, to voice their frustrations or the inequities that they might experience or the injustices they might experience. They are invisible and yet you are to welcome this child as if it were me. Totally against 
the economy and the way of love and the way of life of the day. What's Jesus really saying here? Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven, he was often talking about the kingdom of heaven, right? He was talking about how the kingdom of heaven collides with earth. He often spoke about how it was like two worlds that were intersecting, two worlds that were sort of transposed over one another and how we've got the harsh realities of our current world, right? The pain, the grief, the loss, the heartache. But then we see these moments, these fleeting moments of the kingdom of heaven made real in the world around us when we see things like a miracle, when we see things like a healing, when we see love extended, when we see... Uh, when we experience like a, sp- a spiritual experience, like that mountaintop experience. So we have this occurring of the, the kingdom of heaven and our current realities intertwined with one another. And what Jesus is saying through this is that the kingdom of heaven, heaven collides with earth when you extend hospitality to a child. When you extend hospitality to someone that cannot serve you back. Because of course, children were the ones that would have done the serving of hospitality. They're the ones that would have washed the feet, right? So what Jesus is saying, let me connect the dots here for you. What Jesus is saying is that you guys are all still looking at the mountaintop. Can you just put it on that next slide for me, Ethan? He's saying to his disciples, you guys are all grappling with who's the greatest. You guys are all jostling with who the greatest. And you know who the greatest is? The greatest is this child. You guys have all got your eyes fixated on that mountaintop. You're you're fixated on that spiritual experience. You're fixated on who's the most worthy. Yeah, Peter, James, John, sure, you guys experienced something amazing. It would look incredible on your CV. It would look amazing on your LinkedIn. Sure, it's going to open up a speaking circuit for you. Sure, it was incredible. And you other guys, you've experienced amazing things as well. But quit jostling for who's the best. Quit having these adult conversations and see the invisible child before you and welcome the invisible child before you because whilst you're here arguing and jostling for your power and your prestige, the reality is is that there's a hurting kid here before you which is invisible to you. There's a demon-possessed child here before you that's invisible to you. There's a, a child before you that's deathly ill and he's invisible to you because you're obsessed with who the greatest is. And sometimes our society looks so much like those disciples. Sometimes we as individuals, myself foremost, (laughs) sometimes I get this so wrong. Sometimes we as a community of adults get this so wrong. We get so fixated on the adult things that the children become invisible to us. We get so obsessed with our car. We get so obsessed with our career. We get so obsessed with our relationship. We get so obsessed with our home. We get so obsessed with... Um, showing that we're all-knowing on Facebook, that we are an epidemiologist and an economist and a civil rights lawyer and that we've got the answers to everything. We get so obsessed with asserting how great that we are that we totally miss the fact that there's a hurting child before us. We totally miss the fact that as we're jostling for our own position and our own ego and our own status, that we're missing the opportunity to see the kingdom of heaven made real in the world amongst us as we welcome a child as we extend hospitality to a child. We miss the moments all the time. Can you imagine what our society would look like and how it might be different if instead of jostling for these things of adulthood, if instead we saw the pains of a child and put a child first? Can you imagine what it might look like if we voted based off the invisible rights, sorry, the invisible needs of a child? Can you imagine? Can you imagine instead of going to the polling booth thinking, which party here is going to give me the biggest construction fund? Which party here is going to give me the biggest stimulus to my check? If instead we looked at it through the lens of, I've got to welcome this child, the least in the kingdom, of, the least in the society around me. I've got to extend hospitality and service the needs of somebody who can't express their needs because they don't have a voice. What if I went to the polling booth and I voted based off of domestic violence? or child protection reform. I think if we did that, I think we'd see the kingdom of heaven manifest on earth. I think we'd see heaven and earth collide. Can you imagine what it might look like if instead when we're with our mates, our secular friends, and one of them makes a joke about porn, if instead of just excusing it and ignoring it because we don't want to agitate, we don't want to rub shoulders because we're still jostling for our status, we're still jostling for our popularity, we're still jostling for our ego... We don't want to agitate the wrong person, right? We don't want to be a minority. But at the other end of that 
sex industry is a hurting child. Perhaps it's the worker, perhaps it's someone in the, a, a baby in the next room over, perhaps it's, who knows? But we choose not to say anything, we choose not to have a voice because we're so obsessed with who is the greatest, I'm the greatest. I want you to like me, please like me. But yet Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven will manifest. Heaven and earth collide when we extend hospitality to the voice of the voiceless, which is children, when we celebrate children. Can you imagine what it would look like if we ran our businesses differently? If we ran our businesses through the lens of how can I honour children? Is this development that I'm going to do going to be a safe space for children? Is this the way that I'm hiring going to be a safe space for children? Is the way that I'm going to treat that single mum applicant or that, that dad that's at, in my workforce, that's on my staff, who I know has got tensions at home because of the rhythms of life, is the way that I'm going to treat him going to create opportunity and love for that child at home? Am I going to just enforce this hard reality of what's right? Are we going to run our businesses in a way which will empower and love on children? It's a hard one to articulate because kids don't have a voice. And so Jesus here in this scene makes it very clear. He's saying to us, would you extend hospitality and would you service the needs of somebody that doesn't have a voice? Would you stop arguing amongst yourself, your inner voice, your inner critic, for how great that you are? It's a bit heavy, isn't it? (laughs) It's a bit sad when we consider how so much of our society just totally ignores the voice of children. But one of the things that I love about about God's church, about God's family, about the house that love built, is that the church should be the first place to move in the direction of children. And so often the, ha- the church has been, but guys, we've got such an opportunity in the world around us to continue to lead reform and continue to celebrate children and continue to show the world that children have a voice and that children are worthwhile. And can you imagine what will happen? Can you imagine what will happen if we see more moments where heaven and earth collide? I know it's a little bit hard to grasp sometimes because we're so used to thinking in our adult worldview. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to invite our three guests. I've got Selena and I've got Mary and I've got Erica. Would you three like to come up to the stage for me? Yeah, why don't we give these three a big round of applause? So these three lovely ladies, lovely women, are each going to read out a short story. So about 12 months ago, Shaz started to write a draft of a book. And that book was about celebrating the 25 years of the story of Tarot, so the story of the house that love built. And I've pulled out three short stories, they're still very much in draft form, and I've asked these three to be able to read them out for us, because they're all centred around children. I think that they give a glimpse into what it looks like when heaven and earth collide, when we start to see children, as opposed to jostling for our own internal egos and status. So, Erica, are you going to go first, eh? Apparently. Where's Camilla? Oh, Grandpa's taking over. Oh, thanks, Grandpa. (laughs) Thanks, Keith. (laughs) All right. Awesome. You go for it. The power of presence. I used to think knowledge was king, but now I know the gift of presence transforms. We value knowledge. We measure maturity by knowledge. We often choose churches on the basis of the depth of their teaching. I know of people who choose a small group on the basis of the depth of the study. Knowledge is king when it comes to people making choices. When a person is checking out a church, I have never seen on their checklist the word presence. Yet presence transforms souls. It soothes the soul, gives the soul space to breathe, to think and reflect. I've learned so much about the power of presence from children. Kids have a way of communicating complexity with simple words. Sometimes the gift of presence shapes thoughts and heart emotions, and other times it can release like a valve, like in the little boy who used power to signal his heart was broken. So what happened back there? Why were you so upset and so cross? We were on our walk during school holiday program and I had chosen to walk with a little boy of five who had had a meltdown when he didn't get his way in a game. He was out and refused to go out and when held to account, he took himself off crying and yelling. He took a big big breath and it all came tumbling out. 
I don't think my mum and dad like me. They have never had time for me. They are always fighting and yelling and talking over the top of me. They never play with me. No one wants to play with me. My heart broke for this little one. No wonder he got upset in the game when he felt left out. Wound upon wound. I'm sorry, that sounds pretty tough. Have you asked mum and dad to play with you? Yeah, but they aren't listening to me and they are too busy fighting. Have you ever told them you don't like it when they fight and yell at one another? They just tell me to be quiet and go to my room. Mm, well, that sounds pretty tough. I'm sure that mum and dad aren't able to play with you um, or listen to you. That's okay. Sorry, I'm sorry that mum and dad aren't able to play with you and listen to you. That's okay. No, it's not okay. I can't change mummy and daddy and neither can you, but you can always let me know when you're, when you're feeling sad. You can use words like, it's rough at home today or I feel sad today. Sometimes mummies and daddies are just weird with each other and they don't know how to love, but it doesn't mean that they don't love you. It just means other stuff is getting in the way of the important stuff. Hmm. He looked away, took a big deep breath and said, I feel better now. Can I run ahead with the big boys now? You sure can. I've learned so much about the gift of presence, how it soothes, how it coaches, how it releases emotions. It allows profound thoughts to settle in our heart and in our mind, but they are moments caught by doing life. I often think, what does it mean when Jesus says, let the little children come to me? I don't think it was about children acquiring knowledge about him. I think he was saying, I want to hang out. I want to sit with you to do life with you. I want to catch these moments because in the moments, in these moments are profound moments of life and love. I'm learning something transformative, something powerful happens when we simply sit with people and catch moments. Kids, I used to think that I needed a church building, but now I know I need a happy space for kids to play in. Churches aren't known for fun. It's not a territory we are known to inhabit, but Jesus calls us to be people of love and light. Children have a way of embodying this so naturally through their deep love of fun. We wanted our church to be a place that nurtured this desire for fun, and we wanted the building itself to reflect and facilitate this. I knew our foyer wasn't quite right. Something was missing. The plans weren't giving the right heart. So I went to the bookstore, hunting for creativity. Then I saw it inside a magazine. My eyes fell upon an indoor skate ramp at the Nike headquarters. That's what was missing. A feature that symbolised to children entering tail race that they are welcome. I ran back to the building site, grabbed Rod Jensen, our project manager, and explained my vision for the foyer. We needed something which let kids know they were welcome. We constructed our own indoor ramp, and little did we know it, it was to become the most used feature in the building. Dare I say, even late at night, adults have been known to run up and slide down this. Children are easy to miss. We nearly excluded them from the design of our foyer by focusing on the adult world, by segregating our building into an adult's area and a kid's area. In designing Tail Race, we wanted to make sure we created space for children to be who they are. We wanted space for families to connect, to love, to do life together, to simply have fun and create memories. I love the creativity and imagination and in a world that can be so intense, I wanted space for the whimsical play of children, a space where innocence find expression. We created a little deli where kids could go shopping for groceries and where I was recently told cash wasn't accepted, only card. We have added a hairdressing salon, a disco room, a hospital, a make-believe home for children to play in. 
We have party rooms, a space for our zippy bikes, baby and toddler sensory classes, and school holiday programs. Six days a week, the playground is open to the public to enjoy and have fun. Every morning when our doors are wide open, I get really excited and I can't wait to hear the sound of the kids' feet coming to play. I love watching them running in front of mum and dad, trying to open the doors and come in. I think this is the picture that Jesus wanted. Kids running to his church, running to his house of play. I remember a day a little boy disappeared after a Sunday service. His mum raced after him. I followed in hot pursuit. He was such a little boy, full of, vital full of vitality and energy. I asked some people at the door of Kids Paradise if they had seen a really cute blonde-haired boy run by. A mum burst out laughing and said, you mean the kid that ran through my legs to get into the Kids Paradise when the doors open? One Christmas, I was looking after identical twins while mum was at one of our baby sensory classes. And we had these little figurines of Christmas stories out for the children to interact with. One of the little girls said, Sharon, is there a story that goes with this? I said, there sure is. Let me tell you. The next week, they come running back in, racing to find me. Sharon, Sharon, baby Jesus and the fairy godmother, a.k.a. Angel, have gone missing. We need to find them. I can't help but belly laugh at moments like these. They are magical moments. They are moments where I pinch myself and go, wow. What a privilege to welcome children through our doors six days a week, saying to them, welcome, we are so glad you are here. Birthday parties. I used to think I had to be invited, but now I know I'm already invited. I will never forget her. She came into Kids Paradise so excited. It was her 10th birthday and she was having her very first birthday party. She was different. She had faced some challenges and had some different abilities to most. But like all kids, she was excited because it was her turn to have a birthday party. She had given her classmates invitations and most had said they were coming. Here she was, all dressed in her new party dress, waiting for her friends to come. The clock ticked over and we waited. Something had gone wrong. I wondered if people had gotten the times muddled or the date mixed up. I went in to see the mum and she was sitting there trying not to cry. She looked at me, angry, defensive, but also brokenhearted. I'm sorry, they're not coming. No one wants to hang out with a kid with a disability. It always happens like this. I don't know why I thought it would be different. No one wants to mix with the kid who's different and no one wants to hang out with the mother of a kid with a disability. The tears started streaming down her face. It's so lonely. I let her cry and whispered the words, I'm sorry. She fumbled in her handbag for her purse and said, how much do I owe you? And then I think we'll just go. I looked at her and said, I can't change what has happened here today. My heart breaks but we haven't celebrated your daughter's worth yet. So here's my plan B. We pulled out the makeup boxes, the eyeshadows and the lipsticks. We painted nails, styled and glittered her hair. We brought all the food out. We ate with her and mum and then our chefs donned their special hats and brought out the birthday cake with our entire staff coming in to sing happy birthday. I love how God invites us into love. Sometimes we want to hang back and wait to be invited, but now I know the invitation is always there. We simply have to receive the invitations he gives us every day. Children with disabilities can sometimes go unnoticed. So often their birth is surrounded by a sense of negativity and sorrow. 
and devastation. Yet we are all of, of great worth. In this moment, I loved being able to accept God's party invitation, to bring a moment of worth, notice and love. Her life is of great worth. It is not of lesser value than mine. I would never have thought of throwing a birthday party as sacred work, but that day taught me so much about love and incarnating love in the everyday of life to make sure that when someone has a birthday, we notice and say, I'm glad you're here and alive. When God presents the invitation to love, we simply receive it with both hands. Thank you, everyone that just read. That was awesome. hope you guys all caught a little glimpse of how when, when selfless love interacts with a child, there's something beautiful that happens, both for the person that's giving it, the person receiving, but there's also a moment, I think, for the community to bask in the peace and to bask in that moment of joy. I think it's a really beautiful thing. So I want to encourage you, church. I want to thank you for being faithful for to children for 25 plus years. I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful towards children, to continue to celebrate children, to continue to see children, to continue to welcome them and offer hospitality to them, and to continue to just be a reflection of God's love as we love on kids. So I just want to thank you all for that. So on the screen here, we're going to close the service here. I've got a few discussion questions which you're welcome to do at your tables. You're welcome to take home. I'll stick them on Facebook later on. You're welcome to just reflect in the car or have a conversation with your family around the dinner table. It's always good to have a, a little bit of a think. Can you think of a time when a child helped you to understand God in a different way? What was this like? When was the last time you created a moment of fun with a child? And what's one tangible, tangible way that you can welcome a child this week? What difference will this make? And with that, church, why don't we just give a, one more big round of applause for all the dads, all the fathers in the house. We might leave it there. So enjoy your week. The guys are going to put some music on. Have a blessed week. And I'll see you guys back here next time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series which is available for you over at tauracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.